0: Did you know that the average human spends 92,000 hours at work during their lifetime? That's more than we spend eating, cleaning, driving, watching TV, or even surfing the internet. In fact, work is what we do most. It comes second only to sleeping. Welcome to 92,000 Hours, the podcast that believes in the integration of life and work. I'm your host, Annalisa Holcomb. Before we begin, I wanted to tell you a quick story about why this podcast is so personal to me. I began practicing law at age 26 and learned many valuable lessons, including that I was deeply unhappy at work. Although I was on a path that looked like traditional success, I realized that I needed to quit my job in order to align myself with my passion and purpose. Now I am dedicated to making sure all of our 92,000 hours at work are spent well, instead of simply spent? How do we construct a working world that values and accommodates our humanity? How do we construct a life that is not separate from, but fueled by, the purpose we find in our work? In this podcast, we will explore those questions and more. In each episode, I will speak to someone that demonstrates meaning, passion, and purpose in their work. Join me in discovering what happens when we bring our whole selves to our work, schools, and communities. This week, we are joined by Alana Dunnigan. Alana is the director of higher education and workforce policy at Western Governors University. Prior to that, she worked as a senior researcher at the Clayton Christensen Institute, a nonpartisan research organization dedicated to improving the world through disruptive innovation. She's also an entrepreneur and a communicator. And today, of course, we will be talking about communication. So if you remove all things that we normally talk about when we say, this is who I am and what I do. So don't count work, school, research, uh, Church activity, sports activity, any of those types of things, if you remove all of that, what are you most proud of about yourself or what is your greatest accomplishment as a human being?
1: Um, It kind of is hard to separate, to totally separate out what you do. Because I think one of the things that I, for instance, am most proud of um, is who I am as a parent. But that's also sort of very visibly, something I do and I I am proud of my kids they're two and four um so you can already tell they're going to be great human beings but I think as a parent there are certain there's just sort of a way that you want to be um and I am really happy with who I am as a parent and I have a lot of fun with it um so I'm proud of that I'm proud I, I don't think I'm the best like uh church member or, or, uh, performer of religious activities, <laughs> but I am really proud of my faith. Um, and just, uh, the way that I push myself on that journey. Um, I feel like, you know, like you think about, have you seen the movie Wally where there's all the, like, everyone just turns into kind of blub. We're sort of at that point a little bit where you have a choice about whether you have a physical life or not. <laughs> um and we're definitely at that point in terms of you know you have a choice as to whether you have kind of a spiritual life or not and whether you sort of pursue these questions of um of meaning and um and purpose and depth and you know clearly we live in a society where not everyone (laughs) even religious people not everyone pursues those um those questions of kind of meaning and and purpose and, and who am I trying to be in the world? Um, and I'm, I'm proud that I do and that I push myself there. And then I think that the third thing I'm really proud of, um, is learning how to be married. Um, we're coming up on six years, which is in 60 years. Um, but I, I'm sure there are people who sort of like, Say I do, and then are like, wow, I'm so good at this. I was born to do this, um, and that that wasn't our experience. We felt like it was really hard, and it's weird to have it be so hard to love the person that you loved enough to marry them, right? Like, why is that? Why does that? Why is that so hard? Um, but for us, it was hard, and I think kind of figuring that out, and and um, you know being honest and self-reflective and learning to do things and unlearning how to do other things. Um, I'm, I'm really proud of that journey and we're, we're still on it, but um, I think those are the things.
0: Those are great things. Those are really important things. And I hope that we could maybe reflect on those a little bit as we talk about communication today, because I think they're uh, super important to how we communicate and maybe I want to like maybe put a pin in that part because I hadn't even thought about talking about like using the theme of communication as a way to talk about how we communicate with ourselves or how we communicate with our own spirituality. And I'm really like, as you brought that up, I thought like, I'm so deeply interested in deeper communication, like really hearing and listening and understand and, you know, like seeking to understand. And I feel like you just started this discussion with that, like in terms of your relationship with your children, with your faith and with your spouse, that whole, like how much work it is to really communicate, to actually know (laughs) whether it's them or yourself or, you know what I mean? (laughs) Right. So, um, so let's like, talk to me about like i think we'll just dive into communication and probably start with the the stuff that is or is not easiest which is that whole idea of communication as part of our work life and i'm um when you think about it we always hear or talk about communication as like one of the most important aspects of our of who, how we bring ourselves to work it's one of those skills that every employer says that they need someone who's a good communicator um, So, uh, how do we how do we define it? Like, how do we know if somebody's in a what is effective communication?
1: <laughs> Adam Grant has this anecdote in Originals where mm-hmm. um, there's this this study of um, they ask people to kind of tap songs like Happy Birthday to you and you tap it on the table, and if you do that, you you, everyone can do that. Right. We're all really good tappers, <laughs> but it, they ask people, um, you know, how many people do you think can tell that you're tapping happy birthday and we're really good tappers. So we're like, I don't know, hundred percent, maybe some people are dumb, 80%. Um, and the reality is it's like 3% because you're hearing the song in your head. Um, and, and so that's something I, that sort of challenges me a lot um and, and you know, challenges our team a lot is that there's for whatever it is that we're communicating, we hear this song in our head. Um, we don't necessarily think as much about what the other person is hearing. Um, and I think that's I think that's, you know, some of the problem with communication at work, um, some of the problem with sort of professional communication for organizations. Um, but I think it's a problem interpersonally as well, right? That sort of we're tapping. And we hear this whole song and the other person doesn't. And so, I, you know, I think part of um, one of the hardest things to do is sort of to step out of what you know and put yourself in the perspective of the other person and what they know and don't know.
0: What's What's the way to learn from that? Do you have an example of when you've been in a work environment in which you have witnessed
1: effective communication? What did that look like? Oh yeah, I mean, I think I see it. I feel like I see it all the time. Um, in in my mind, there's like some basic base that's call, call this like some building blocks. <laughs> so so, I'm a huge fan of the delete key. I think it's the most important key on the keyboard by far, um, because I think you know to be a good communicator, you have to be respectful of people's attention span, and um, and we're almost always more interested in what we have to say than other people are. <laughs> so I think sort of like getting it all out there and then saying like, what is really necessary? And do I really need to go down all the rabbit trails I'm going down? And, um, and am I sort of like really punching up my main points and being as simple and clear as I can on what's not the main point, right? So I think that delete key and just concision, parsimony, shortness, brevity, how many, can I be as redundant as possible in talking about this concept? <laughs> um, so I think, you know, just to be kind of crisp is part of being effective. Um, and then I think there's also this idea of sort of like communicating to the other person, right? What, what is it that they need to hear to move forward in their decision-making and their understanding, which is oftentimes different than what it is we want to say, right? We all, we communicate often to, to be known and to validate ourselves, um, which I think in relationships can be a really good, important thing to do. Um, but at work, we're often trying to get something done. And that sort of ego of, I want you to know how hard I worked on this. I want you to know um, that this matters more than the other things on your desk. Um, I want you to know how critical I am to this project. <laughs> we sort of are often implicitly communicating those things as well. Um, And assuming like a knowledge base that isn't there. And so sort of clearing all of that out and saying, what am I really trying to achieve? And how do I move that forward with this conversation, email presentation? Um, And then I think the other thing that people forget is, and and certainly I'm guilty of this um, more than most people, is that um, people pay attention to what's fun. And to story, um, you know, I think all of all of the kind of data and statistics that were a wash in is a relatively new invention. Um, but human beings have been telling each other stories for you know millennia, at least. Um, and I think that sort of ability to have this kind of shared imagination um, is is what connects us as a species. And so I think to be able to infuse story and humor and meaning into communication, to be able to give people uh, a memorable why, um, I think is, is so key. And so I'm sure, you know, you know this in your work, right? Where it's like, you can, you can give people all the headline statistics in the world, but if you tell them a story of who it matters to and how it changes their life, it clicks for them in a different way.
0: And that's the thing that sticks. You'll forget the numbers that somebody told you, but you'll remember the story that somebody told you about another human or about a situation. Yeah. Um, you said something, and I find it almost a little bit heartbreaking, but real because you said something about how when we're communicating at work, we are in some ways. I think it's not only in service of our own ego, but it's also in service of our own trying to show that we matter, um, that we communicate who, you know, we communicate more about, look, I'm important. Look, I, I, I'm necessary. Like, um, as we communicate things, um, what does that mean? Like, how do we, how do you see that? Because are there a whole bunch of us out there? And in fact, yes, like, I do it too. Like, do you see me? And do you think that I'm worthwhile in this role? Um, how, how could, how can the leaders who hear that from the people that they work with and probably even the leaders themselves who want their own team members who report to them to know that they also are trying, how do we like get to that humanity in terms of our communication or should we even?
1: I feel like, um, so, so, so there's two things, right. That are sort of intention. We have to keep in mind what other people don't know um, and sort of approach communication that way. But if we're, if we're sort of speaking in a manner that says, look, this is complex and I understand it and you don't, um, that feels if somebody really- wants to
0: punch him. I would like to punch someone if they talk to me like that. <laughs>
1: Right. But I think, but I think there is even if it's um, true. <laughs> it's great for our egos to feel like this is so complex and I'm the only person that can understand it. And I, I think, you know, we feel a certain amount of power in being like, this is complex, but there's way more power in being able to say, this is simple. Um and to cut through the jungle for people. Um and so I, I think, again, it's like that effective communication is really powerful, um, but a lot of times what keeps us from going there is that we want to show people the jungle and how well we understand it and not the path through it.
0: Awesome. So one time you said something to me, and I mentioned this to you about um, the communications profession uh, could almost be in conflict with or antithetical to Actual, real communicating um, that we like. So, can you expand on that a little bit? What is that? Tell me about your thoughts about that. Or was I wrong when I heard you that way?
1: Well, I think w- when I think about myself um, in personal situations, I am very often not trying to move the ball forward yeah at work, we're always trying to move the ball forward um, and there's that quote right to be um, to be known and not loved is the worst thing in the world to be um, loved and not known is also sort of very empty and what we're all sort of seeking is to be known and Loved, And so I think in interpersonal communication, that's hopefully what we're trying to do is to, to understand the other person to be known ourselves. And we're, we're, you know, maybe we're talking with our spouse about, you know, who should pick up the kids or the dishes or, you know, what happened at a doctor's appointment, but we're, we're a lot of that logistical communication is not about, um, trying to get the other person to do something. Right. And if, 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 if all of your communication with your spouse say is like, I want you to do this, (laughs) that's really what's behind it all. Right. It's not healthy. Um, We communicate right in relationships so that we can be known as, as organizations though, you know, we are trying to move the ball forward. And so we have messages and we stick to those messages. Um, And we're, we, we, You know, are really great analysts of the conversation and the narrative, so that we can insert ourselves in it and deploy our messages effectively and move the ball forward. Um, And again, if that's how we're thinking about our relationships, we're in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think there, I think there is this reality, um, you know. And I think, frankly, I think this is true on you know social media as well for individuals. Um, But as an organization. No one is really trying to understand you, right? Like you think of Instagram influencers with, um, you know, millions of followers, and wouldn't it be so nice to be them? because so many people know them. But if you actually look at their content, you sort of realize nobody knows them. They're, they recognize that people aren't coming to their site in order to know them. People are coming to their site because they want beauty tips or because they want travel pictures or because they want, um, and, and, and the authenticity around that, right. Is often very, you know, is, is always very curated. Um, and so I think, you know, I I think it gets tricky on social media for people because we sort of go to it wanting to be known, um, for ourselves, we put this stuff out there, and then it feels like nobody cares because people don't go on social media and people aren't kind of absorbing corporate communications in like how do I know all of these other people? <laughs> it's like what's the what's the one fact? What's the one um, kind of dopamine hit that I can get that excites me, that entertains me, that informs me, and then I and then I move on. And organizational communication, external communication, very much exists in that realm where. You know, people are thinking about their own lives and the issues they care about and what's going on in their world and how do you get your sound bite in there um, so that you can kind of make that instant connection with that person. Um, but knowing that there's no appetite to know the truth of you um as as a corporate entity, unless it's in a negative way, right? And people are sort of like trying to figure out your underbelly and like what's underneath all the rocks and that kind of thing. But <laughs> Tell me about
0: that. I really am interested in like um, that whole idea because I do see the importance of it. this whole like we need to we live in a sound bite society. We live in a certain number of characters. Uh, I personally write an email to my team every Sunday night. I call it last week tonight and it summarizes the important things that happened. And I now have a TldR at the top of that email just in case people aren't going to read the whole thing. And so if I, if, if that's who we are, like, what does that, like, what do you think about that in terms of, I guess, I guess there's good parts to it, right. I'm going to summarize, but then I'm also going to storytell later. So um, in my, in my own email communication to my team. So what does that mean? Like if we have that, does it hamper our communication? Does it do that at work or in society? Like, how do we feel? How do you feel about our Twitter lifestyle and
1: how we communicate societally? Oh, I mean, I think we all we all know what it's doing to our brains, right? We feel the difference when we read a long form article or um, we read a book. We, we know how different that feels than, um, you know, after you've been kind of scrolling and swiping for an hour. Um, but we, we also know that the scrolling and swiping is addictive. (laughs) Um, and I think, you know, there's, there's pros and cons. We're able to take in so much more information, you know, again, because it's like people recognize our ADD, they make it concise, they make it digestible, they make it, um, kind of dopamine inducing. Um, and, and I think as organizational communicators, you know, we've got to be able to exist in that world. Um, we can put out sort of all the long form articles in the world, but those don't get as many eyeballs. Those are a dream, right. From an organizational communication standpoint, when someone is willing to kind of like write this in-depth, um, story. Um, but, but I think, you know, you've got, you've got to be able to do both, you know, in a formerly i worked at a a think tank and so you're sort of this um you know kind of public intellectual although it was a very minor figure um, but you're still sort of playing this public intellectual game so you're putting out white papers and you're placing articles in different places and you're on social media and you're trying to get your ideas out there and you're speaking you know wherever you can and the <laughs> i can't tell you the number of times you sort of you, you know you put out a white paper you know, you get some sort of invites and media interest and um, based on that. But you know what, you put out a tweet, you get the same thing. Um, And I can't tell you the number of times that people like, oh, I saw your tweet on this. Um, And we'd love to have you do such and such. And so it's it just feels so ironic when you're like putting all of this effort into crafting this like really beautiful, truly thought out, well researched, like six months in the making long form content. And then what gets people is the tweet. Um, it just is crazy, but, it but it's also how the world works. Right. And so I think um, as organizations, you've got to be willing to play both games. Yeah. Like, how do
0: you see that moving us forward? Because I think you say important things here in terms of we've been storytelling for millennia. Our storytelling is now like, we can't have short, long form articles as like our storytelling now is this big. What does that mean for us? Like as a, as a, as a, as humans, what, what, it will, what will it look like for your children? What do you think? Is I don't know. Again, yet?
1: I'm like, I'm worried about what it's doing to our brains. I'm worried about what it's doing to my brain. <laughs> <laughs> me too. I like, I, I stayed away from TikTok for so
0: long, <laughs> but then my daughter saying like, like sending me videos. And so I went on and it, 45 minutes was gone like that because I, just, I feel
1: oh. I, I wonder if like the true evolutionary story is that like ants just like scurrying around one thing after another are like human beings that spent too much time on social media um,
0: <laughs> if this conversation has caught your attention and you want to join in on conversations like this check out our website at connectioncollaborative.com Welcome back. You are listening to 92000 Hours. We are speaking with Alana Dunnigan about communication. I would love to hear your thoughts in terms of communication about the art of listening, and um, mm-hmm. I have this—I personally like think that it is, in, in particular, such an important leadership skill in terms of organizational leaders, societal leaders. Like, how how do we listen more, and how do we like? And I think listening is super hard. Uh, And I don't know that we give ourselves enough credit about how much work it is to actually listen. So I wonder if you had uh, personally any thoughts about that about the art of listening in terms of our in terms of communication, as well as, um, and, and for me, listening, really listening has so much to do with empathy and the work of trying to put yourself in someone else's position while you are listening.
1: Does that make sense to you? Yeah. I, I'm gonna come at it in like a probably the wrong way, a sort of a more cerebral way. Um, but there was this economist in the 1930s, um, who kind of famous microeconomist, uh Ronald Coase, and he looked at um, sort of firm structure in uh, in the United States and in uh, Soviet Russia. And he was looking specifically at how does information flow through the organization. And what he sort of found was that in the United States at that time, um, there was much more kind of bottom-up information flow. Um, and um, kind of the idea that, you know, people who were doing the work had the information about that work and they were sort of willing to send it up the chain. And the more kind of top-down command and control model, um, that wasn't true. Workers knew, right, that like inventory was piling up or that this material wasn't working to make the product, but they didn't tell anyone. Um and so that's not just, it's not just an insight, right, about, um, you know, capitalism is better than socialism. I think, it's, I think it gives us insight about power um, and how power influences communication. And that's the challenge for leaders is that no one wants to tell you things that you don't want to hear. And so it's not enough to just sit there and listen. Um, you really have to work, I think, quite hard at creating the psychological space where people are willing to talk. Um, and if, if you're just taking the time to listen, and you're not thinking about um, how you react to negative information, how you reward um, information, what you're willing to disclose in order to kind of like create vulnerability, right? You can spend a lot of time listening and hear nothing that you need to hear, um, because you're, you're operating in this culture whereby people feel like their success is going to be driven again by kind of, uh, keeping truth from you. Um, and I think we, we see that as, as parents too, frankly, right? Like we can, we can parent in a way where kids feel comfortable, um, sharing their truth with us. And we can parent in a way where kids don't, and we've, we've all been teenagers, (laughs) 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 Um so I I think I think it's not, I think there's um I think a lot of times we can sort of be naive as leaders and think, I just need to sit here and take the time and have the skip levels and um you know be quiet for five minutes and that's listening. Um and it's there's so much more that goes into that because I, I think it's very easy as a leader to sort of see yourself as a person and not as a person in power other people, right? The people who report to you, see you as a person in power, um, and you communicate very differently, um, with someone in power than with a peer. Oh,
0: and I think that's so great because I think even, you know, even I see that, right. When we, when you're happy, when you're saying this right now, I'm picturing leaders that I report to or leaders that I have reported to and forget that I'm also a leader and that the people that work, I'm seeing myself as a person, so, I think it exists all throughout different levels of yep. organizations and and also when we leave from where we are. How are we doing that? How do like what are our what is our interpersonal power at work that people might see us having that we don't even realize they see us. Right. By?
1: But I think the you know the other key to um to that insight I you know going back to kind of the the microeconomics of it is that you can't manage without information. Um, And so I think, and I think one of the things that's tricky is that some of the things that make us a strong affective leader, not necessarily an effective leader, some of the things that make us a strong affective leader in terms of poise and presence and confidence and being so clear about what we're doing and what we want, um, those things that make us a good affective leader can also make it difficult for us to be a strong, effective leader. Um, because we don't get the information that we need and like getting the information on sort of what's working and what's not, um, is, is I think just a critical and very underestimated task.
0: I love that so much. So I love that so much. And I think that I'm going to want to sit with that for a little while because there's a lot of, like you just said that (laughs) you just communicated that in this much time that I'm going to need to sit with for a little while. Um, I want to go back to the idea of listening and active listening and empathy with listening. And I, I wonder if you might, um, like allow yourself to think about what that looks like in terms of how you communicate with yourself, um, or with, uh, so here's why I thought about this is because. And I've talked about this before, but I was so moved once I saw um, Sister Helen Prejean, Prejean, however she says her name, uh, uh, s- who wrote Dead Man Walking, speaking about um, that, you know, one of the most important spiritual lessons she had learned throughout her life, you know, with her work with um, uh, almost exclusively men in um, On Death Row who were facing their death was the like the, uh, like the almost uh, religious experience of actually just sitting and listening to someone, like the the listening aspect, which I think is, it's the way, we talk about being heard, but it's also like being all the way seen too, right? Like this is, and it's kind of what you talked about before that we want to be both known and loved. And how do you do that with regard to listening? So I'm interested in having said all of that, what do you think about, or how do you, How do you think about communication in terms of what you're proud about with working towards your faith or thinking about spirituality or, you know, like that big picture, we're all in, we're all in this, like the, the way that we are all together in this world.
1: Oh, that's an interesting question. You know, I think I should start out by saying I'm not a great listener. I talk a lot. I'm like really in my own mind. And so everything I'm saying, don't think for a minute that I'm good at it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think, I don't know if there, if you believe in God, I think, um, you know, most of us probably approach God the same way, which is that we're coming to God with our problems and with our experience and with our, um, you know our hopes and fears. Um, and I think, you know, what I believe is that it's that it is sort of hard for us to accept the truth about ourselves, which is that we are so imperfect, that we're never going to be perfect. Um, that that whole race is kind of a trap. Um, and yet that we are loved and good. Um, And, and those two things, I think, um, the idea that we're imperfect and that we're loved anyway, um, for me spiritually, I think it, it does, it takes like a little bit of a pause to sort of hear that, feel that absorb it. Um, and I, I kind of do have to stop talking and like quit with my own, um, stuff in your head, stuff in my head to, to hear that it feels like a very like external <laughs> message um, that, that, you know, I, I think you sort of try to spend, I think part of right faith spirituality is like, is that you are spending a lifetime to try to internalize truths that on the one hand, you sort of know are true. And on the other hand are just counter to how your brain works and to how maybe society works. Um, and so I think it is sort of like, a, a studied like stillness and listening to be able to, to absorb that. And, you know, frankly, I haven't absorbed those truths, um, but people who absorb them more are happier. <laughs> right.
0: I mean, that's the whole like Brene Brown stuff on shame, where she talks about people who are able to get through and over those things that so many of us struggle with are just because they believe they're worthy and just right. have it like they they're not struggling with that worthiness idea. They understand it better.
1: Right. Well, I think it's tricky too, because I think there's people who are, and, and some of these people have been president, right? Like there are people who are not struggling with their worthiness, (laughs) right? (laughs) But they also perhaps haven't grasped their own imperfection. Um, And And it must be both. I I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. That makes sense. I want to make sure I ask this question because I think that listeners would be interested in it in terms of how, how the pandemic has affected Our communication at work? Um, Mm. Do you think that we are worse, better? Like, what are the pros and cons of what this um, environment has done to us in terms of how we communicate with each other?
1: I don't know. I have some theories. Um, I had a job in the past where I was mostly remote, and then I would come into the office. And on those days when I would come into the office, um, they were exhausting because I would have sort of back-to-back meetings and, um, every meeting would start with, I wanted to tell you this in person. Um, and okay. sometimes it, it would, sometimes it would be feedback for me. Sometimes it would be something they were struggling with. Sometimes it would be like, you know, this major conflict, um, between two other people. Right. But it, but I would sort of come to the end of those days with all of this emotional information that we do sort of exchange in person that we don't tend to exchange over Zoom. And, and maybe the norms of that have changed now that we're sort of on Zoom all the time and people are sort of more comfortable with this as a path of communication. But I think I think that part of what's happening is that we just don't communicate that information um, that we feel, and that's sort of why we feel a little bit more isolated. It's harder to feel like you have those kind of best friends at work or that you have that kind of safety to um, To share things with people. Um, I also think it's why, um, yeah, so, so I, I do wonder if there's, like, if there are emotional burdens that we're not sharing, um, working remotely, and that's part of why I think there's just been, like, a, a heaviness to the zeitgeist. Um, I also wonder other things, though. I think, you know, we pick up, fewer nonverbals when we're not in person, when we're over video chat. Um, and certainly that you know the person who's checked out just turns their camera off. <laughs> um, but I do think those kind of, I, I think I have a, a, a little bit of a theory that you know, some of those nonverbals, um, again contribute to our bias of who we perceive to be a leader. Um, and I do wonder if kind of remote work is a little bit leveling for that. If it, if it offers the opportunity for people to kind of emerge as leaders based off of what they can deliver, um, versus what it seems like they can deliver. Wow. Um, so I, you know, I wonder about that. I wonder if that's maybe a positive, um, of this environment. I, you know, I think certainly it, uh, I worked remotely for a long time before the pandemic. And so I feel like I, um, I felt very personally kind of issues that I'm like, oh, wow, I guess that was normal. Everyone feels that way around on the one hand, like, you know, the flexibility of this is really good. Um, but on the other hand, you know, I, I, I don't just work from home. I live at the office where I kind of have these like unreasonable expectations that I should be able to like make a perfect sourdough bread while I'm. Doing work or, you know, get the house clean, whatever it is. Um, And I I think one of the trickiest things that probably we don't talk about enough is like um, how the remote work affects not just our work communication, but our communication with our families. Um, And, you know, my husband and I both used to kind of travel a lot. And so, um, you know, we'd be working late at night in a hotel room, and that was never awkward because we're not home, but now there are nights where we work late and it's like, sorry, I can't hang out with you. I'm going to work late. Um, which is, you know, it's like, it's in our families. Um, and there are these kind of more visible, um, kind of more awkward trade-offs between home and work, um, that, yeah, that I think are hard.
0: I agree with you. And I, I want to make sure that we do talk about that, um, before we end like that, the importance of how we how we communicate with the people we love, how we communicate with our spouses and our children. And I'm interested in your thoughts about whether how the pandemic has affected that. And, and what are, you know, what do you, what do you think we can do to have good communication with the, with the people who we care about the most?
1: Oh man, I'm still working on this. <laughs> <laughs> when I was first married, one of my friends would tell me, um, don't worry. Communication is a four-year degree, which was very comforting to me until I'd been married for four years. And then I was like, Oh (laughs) shoot, I should have it figured out now. Um, and I'm, I'm not, at this point, I'm like, I'm not sure I'm ever going to have it kind of perfectly figured out. Um, but you know, I think, um, I think it's just hard in an environment that feels so, so much more kind of anxious and unknown, right? The, the rules are sort of changing all the time. And, you know, if you are trading off, you know, if you're dealing with kind of kids in childcare, um, that situation is, is changing all the time, right? Like we just had. Um, we've opened enough to have Little League, but one person in Little League, the whole Little League got COVID. And so now the whole Little League is shut down, right? Like there's, everything is just kind of continues, I think, to still be in flux for a lot of families. Um, and so you're you're dealing with just this day-to-day grind of unpredictability and constant change. Um, and so I think we all just like need, you know, grace and And patience. And I think um, it's sort of easy to communicate when you want to be with someone. Maybe it's not totally easy, but it's easier to communicate. I want to spend time with you than it is to communicate. I need space. And when we're sort of cooped up uh, with our families for a year, right, there are moments where we need space. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that maybe would have emerged like naturally in our commutes or when kids were at school or when, you know, someone was getting together with their friends. Um, and so one I of think the reasons I, I, I tell people,
0: I had no idea how much I missed airplane time, but airplane time, nobody can contact me from work and nobody yeah. can contact. I can just be alone with my thoughts for whatever, however long I'm on that airplane. <laughs>
1: yeah. You can be super productive or not. And no yeah. one knows. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah but I think that I think sort of realizing like what was it that used to happen in my regular routine that I'm missing now that I need, and then communicating that I think it's hard because it 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 doesn't just require like here's how you phrase it um it's like it's self awareness and so I think sometimes in the absence of that self awareness um we don't know what we need um so we're just frustrated with the, what the other person is doing. <laughs> Um, but I think it's that's I, like hard.
0: I bet everybody that listens to this goes like, oh yeah, that I know that feeling. I know that feeling. I'm often frustrated by the people around, and it's just because I'm not reflecting on what I need first,
1: so I could even communicate it to them. They're just existing,
0: same way I yeah. am. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I think we all kind of have felt like this past year is like a conspiracy to make us crazy, which yeah. maybe it is. <laughs> um, but that's certainly not like the intention of our of our families, of our loved ones, but I think it is hard to sort of articulate, well, what is it that I need and, and how do I ask for that? And to even just get in that frame of mind versus like, oh my gosh, everything is nails on a chalkboard right now. <laughs> I don't have anything love I'm it. used to. I love
0: that you talk about that because I do think that the first, like the first step probably for effective communication just in general is our own self-reflection and understanding ourselves. Um yeah. Not only in our personal well, relationships, but all of them really.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, earlier I said, you know, we're not trying to move the ball forward in our personal relationships, but sometimes we are, sometimes things aren't sort of working or we're frustrated or or we need something we don't have. Um, and we are trying to move the ball forward. Um, and so then I think recognizing, right. When, when you are in that mode, I think we're so sometimes so used to just communicating to be known, right. That all it's like, okay, if you need to move the ball forward, you've got to switch into corporate mode here <laughs> and identify what is that ball um, and, and how do you communicate that? And, um, and to be clear, and I think it's sort of like to sort of get into a more like, okay, what is it that I really need is hard when we're overwhelmed with all these emotions and we're so used to um, just being known um, that it's like I'm frustrated cuz you're doing da 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 da. But if we really want to solve the problem, right, we've got again to switch into that corporate mode and be like, "Okay, I want the, I think it would be better if things were more this way." So here's how I'm going to ask for that. Um and people are usually pretty receptive to that. Um or I, I don't know. My husband is. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Um have you had a mentor in your
0: life, personal professional, however that that affected you that you would want to honor some way by talking about, like, here's a mentor that meant something to me.
1: Mm. I had a boss um, in my twenties who had the courage to have hard conversations with me about, look, this is how you're coming off to people or this is how you need to pick your battles. Um, And I, I look at that and I wonder if I would have the courage, I wonder sort of on a daily basis, like, do I have the courage to be that person to help people face themselves um, and to help bring them along? Or am I the person who's like, this isn't working? Um, uh, Or am I the person who kind of just overlooks it and tries to muddle along, right? It's easy, it's easier as as someone's boss to sort of like try to muddle through it, try to work around it, not have the hard conversation, or to sort of like write the person off and like you need improvement and um, and I'm going to try to manage you out. It's it's harder to sort of hang with someone and say, um, look, here's some things you're really not doing well, in a way that's building that that's actually building that person up. Um, and I feel like he was willing to kind of tell the truth to me, um, and to let me do to to take chances on me to sort of say like you did this wrong. I'm going to let you do it again. Um, and to really see me not as someone who has the skills to do X or Y, but is a, he saw me as a learner. Um, and I, I hope that I see other people that way. We're still in contact. He's retired now. Actually, when he, when he retired, I left that job because it just wasn't the same um, to work with someone else. And I sort of was like, and that's and that's part of why I went to business school because I was sort of like, I want to learn to be that kind of leader. Um and and hopefully one day I will be. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I feel like my professional trajectory was so influenced by just that that honesty and care. Um, and we can we can you know make it a corporate word and call it feedback, but it was really like truth and care. Um and and again, just profoundly influenced my trajectory.
0: I love it. He communicated with you in that situation, yeah. not by moving the ball forward, but
1: by see right like that but whole. You know, I think in a way he it like, does. Move I it. was the ball, yeah, that he yeah. was trying to move forward, right? Um, I think he saw me as someone who, like, could get from point A to point B, um. So but I continue, right? And I think sometimes we sort of view people as like, again, they sort of like, you just are who you are. You have the skills to do this, or you don't. Um, and again, he really saw me as someone who who was a learner, who could have a trajectory. And I think he saw, frankly, all people that way as sort of on a journey. Um, but I think it it takes some courage to sort of like to be to be willing to face someone else's perhaps you know early 20s defensiveness <laughs> um, and to have the hard conversations and to um to tell people the truth so that they can change right
0: I love that I hope that um he'll get to hear this or at least you get a chance to tell him that when you had a chance to talk about someone who had a profound influence on you as a mentor it was him that you thought of
1: Yeah. And I will say too, I think, um, sometimes those people come in our lives at a time when we're willing to be mentored, which isn't maybe all the time. You know, one of the things he said was like, you're terrible at communicating with our board. Um, and so there were some things I did to try to get better at that in terms of directly sort of how I spoke to our board, but I also got on a few boards to understand like, what is it like to sit in that seat? Um, and what, do you know, I'm doing this on a volunteer basis. What do I need to kind of under to just like understand. And again, like move the ball forward. How do I communicate with that board? It's like, put myself in that perspective of what do they, what do they really need to know? What do they need to understand? What's their frame of mind? And, you know, just at, at different points in my life, I maybe would or wouldn't have had the kind of emotional and time bandwidth to make that investment. And so I think some of I, I do think it's like, you know, having a mentor is not just like, oh, this random person appeared in my life, but also like I heard them. Um and I I I always kind of wonder like, are there at times where I'm like, oh, I just like no one's mentoring me? It's like, or is someone trying to?
0: <laughs> and I'm um, just not
1: listening. That's such and I'm not good listening. advice. That's such good advice. I'm gonna
0: think about that for myself right now because. That could be happening. And I say it all the time. This is probably me being in my own head, right? Where I'm like, (laughs) I wish I had a mentor. (laughs) I have lots of mentors. I just have to give them the credit. And often they are the people who are my colleagues, who are not officially my bosses, but who are taking the time to give me good advice and to give me great feedback. And they're often the people that I'm officially the leader of, but they are terrific mentors to me as well well thank you so much for all of your time um, and for your great wisdom thanks to Alana for such a fabulous discussion if you're like me you'll be thinking about her insights for weeks to come You can learn more about Alana by following her on Twitter and LinkedIn. Next week, we will be joined by Laurel Smiley. Laurel is an organizational consultant and executive coach, and she is the first person I've met who received Dare to Lead training from Brene Brown herself. You won't want to miss it. As always, thank you for listening to 92,000 Hours. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. We really appreciate your support. If you're interested in integrating the personal and professional through authentic conversation, just like you heard on our episode today, please check out our work at Connection Collaborative. You can find us at connectioncollaborative.com or send me an email at analisa at connectioncollaborative.com. Thank you and see you next week on 92,000 Hours. 92,000 Hours is made possible by Connection Collaborative. This episode was produced and edited by Brianna Stegall. Lexi Banks is our
1: marketing director, and I'm your host, Annalisa Holcomb.